the Anton Savage Show Sunday. Brought to you by PwC. Combining talent and technology, we're hardwired to find solutions. On News Talk. My next guest is the centre of a, a number of significant issues making the news uh, today. There are issues pertaining to the Dublin traffic congestion and ultimately the traffic ban uh, to a lot of the centre city, which is seen as something of a, a, a policy of his party coming to fruition. There's also the issues pertaining to the DAA and whether or not the cap will be uh, lifted on Dublin Airport. And there is the news that he is going to be chairing the International Energy Agency Ministerial this week, which is the first time that an Irish minister has done so. It it is, of course, uh, Minister Eamon Ryan. Good morning, Minister. Good morning, Anton. Let's start there. The significance of the International Agency Ministerial. This is a a multi-governmental agency covering dozens of countries. It has been in existence since 1974. And as I say that, I have no doubt that a lot of people will think, here is another talking shop that will achieve the sum total of now. Uh, it has to achieve progress. We we are in a perilous state in our world. Our climate is before our eyes, um, going way beyond anything anyone expected. This January was the warmest month ever. We've just gone through a year where the average temperatures is over 1.5 degrees. And the reason that was set in the Paris Climate Agreement and by all the scientists as the limit is because the risks increases dramatically as you go beyond that, that you could go beyond a tipping point. And a tipping point where, let's say, you might see the North Atlantic uh, uh, Gulf Stream system switch off, which would be terrible for us, or the Arctic sea ice goes into runaway melt and so on. So so the International Energy Agency is the um, about 40 countries, most about accounting for about 80% of the use of the energy in the world. It was established, as you said, in the 70s after the first oil crisis, and it was to manage that. And then the question, this is our 50th anniversary this year, so it's quite a big meeting. But to some extent, I would suggest that that is is almost proof of, of the negative, that it has been in existence doing its job as this crisis has steadily worsened. Well, it has in recent years. I would agree with you. I'd be, I think I'd be critical of previous years, but I think in the last five, seven years, it has actually become centre stage in a lot of the global efforts to switch away from the use of fossil fuel. Um, and I think our job next week is to take what was agreed in Dubai at the climate negotiations there in November, December, to look, and our communique, I'm hoping to get agreed on Wednesday, is to say we need no new long-term oil or gas exploration. We have to stop looking for oil and gas because we've enough to burn the planet. Um, it will have to agree, in my mind, we need to scale up the spending to about $4.5 trillion a year on the clean alternative, mainly renewable and efficient. And that of that, at least $1.5 million, uh, has to go to the poorest countries, which is not happening at the moment. And my job next week is, I suppose, to try and get agreement on that, but also then to influence the group of G7 meetings and G20. Well, on that note, because obviously your job as chair, as co-chair with the French, is not to advocate, it is to persuade and it is to create consensus. Who do you see as the most challenging participants to get on board? Um, I think the biggest... Well, we're looking, we're in negotiations, discussions about India coming aboard, and I think that would be very good. Typically, it's been the wealthy countries, America, Japan, Europe... 
um, and this Canada, Australia and so on. And this is an opportunity for us to broaden that. And we, we are including Kenya now and Senegal. Although presumably you can't rely on the States if Donald Trump gets back into power. Well, I think always the thing about the States, people have to remember, is they have to make the biggest change. America's the biggest producer of oil and gas. I mean, like Saudi Arabia is huge. You know, they, they pump about 9 million barrels of oil a day. America pumps 13 and has limitless resources of what's called shale oil and gas. We cannot extract that and protect our planet and the climate. So, so yeah, for America, this is tough stuff. They're going to have to wean themselves off. Same with Australia, same with Canada, same with the UK. And so that line, no new exploration in a country like Australia, where they, they have a new coal field that's the size of Belgium. And like, they're only starting. They've well, in the, how do you then hope that you will get that level of support when the, it appears that to some extent in some of the major developed nations, the, the tide is going in the other direction. We saw Keir Starmer this week backing off Labour's pledge to spend $28 billion a year on new energy and on renewables. That is completely diametrically opposite to what you would be hoping for. It is. I think that's, I think that's a signal of their economic difficulties, not necessarily that the green investment isn't the right thing to do. I think they've caught themselves because of Brexit, because of bad management, economic management in recent years in a very poor budgetary situation, which is, I think that's the problem they have there rather than... But if the UK has that problem, how do you then point to the countries like you listed, like Senegal, who who have been in an economic mire since time immemorial and say, well, you need to put yourself in a more difficult financial position? And that's why we need international cooperation to say we're actually going to get those countries out of the economic crisis they're in by investing in the green alternative. I keep saying, I think the reason I was asked to do the job is I kind of have this standard line, I just keep repeating because it's true. This is the peace project of our time. Those countries, you take Kenya, five years drought, five years. And is there any wonder then we have conflict and and in the neighbouring areas like southern Sudan or the Horn of Africa? And that is, how do you solve that? Well, and it's the area that'd be hit most by climate change. I think we invest in the green alternative. Africa has less solar power than, the, than Holland. The entire continent of Africa, which gets 60% of global solar radiation, has less than Holland. And then, so if you address that, there are various benefits. Okay, well, this then to some extent relates to the the problems closer to home. If we come from the macro, what do you do across a a global level and how do you invest in renewables? If you take the discussion this week around the restrictions in in Dublin, the reaction, the, the negative reaction that there has been to that suggestion is this is cart before the horse. Before you start restricting traffic flow, before you make it more difficult for people to access the city, you should put in place the green alternatives. We should have tram lines. We should have light rail lines. We should have a metro. We should have a subway. If we can't even manage to do it in our capital city, how can we do it on an international basis? We should and we'll have those. Can I say first of all, Anton, I'm not too sure that there was no all-round negative reaction to No, I said what negative reaction there was. Yeah, yeah, but there there was some. Um, And understandable. I think people may be fearful that the kind of that word oh ban of all traffic in the city centre that won't be a ban it, it's stopping the true traffic it's reorganising traffic rather than just banning it but why is it stick rather than carrot why not put in place the oh, trams we, we need both and we also need both because well we need both because we are investing massively in public transport not just in Dublin but in Cork, Goway, Waterford, Limerick and around the country but should you not be waiting before you start applying the stick until the carrot is actually built the carrot's coming the carrot's here the carrot is coming in the sense that we've just opened up five of the Bus Connects route corridors. We're going to have to open the other six. And the, if we're going to start building that network this year. We have no metro. But we're going... We have no underground. 
and we have very limited tram network. We will build, the, the metro will go to public consultation the week after next. And I'm confident it will get approval and it will be built. Jack Chambers says your, your confidence is misplaced. Why would Jack say the confidence is misplaced? Jack has said that your assertion that it is going to get through planning this year, he, he is quoted in the Business Post today saying that he, he doesn't, not directly commenting on what you have yeah. said, but that it isn't, he, he would not be confident that it would well, come I, through this I year. I am. I'll tell you why. It, we, it's been in planning for 25 years, Anton. I was involved in this. I was involved in the Dublin Transportation Office back in the 1990s when we first started working on this. I remember 1999, 25 years ago, pretty much, it was done in terms of, yeah, this is what we need. Let's go and build it. And, and the 25 years since, we've made a couple of occasions we made a mistake where we didn't build it. So we're going to, in my mind, very confident. But it's funny, people will hear, I, I would suggest people will listen to you and draw the opposite conclusion from your thesis. It has taken us 25 years to get nowhere. We have fewer, we have less than half of the tram network that we had a hundred years ago. Mm. We haven't had a major rail infrastructure development in the city centre since, what, 1890 when we built the loop line? So people look at that and say, why does Eamon Ryan now suddenly think that the clouds are going to part and all that hasn't happened is going to happen in the next 10 years? Because it is right to go, because we have the plans, because we are we're at a very advanced stage, not just in the metro, but also we're going to triple the DART system in Dublin and we will introduce those bus connects corridors next year. And so therefore, this year and next year. So therefore, that's why we need the traffic management system at Dublin City Centre at the same time, because we don't want those buses, and they're already been rolled out. They're already been delivered, and it's not all negative. Well, let's not get overexcited about a bus. There is a significant difference between a widespread met, a widespread tram network or a light rail network or an underground network compared to putting on a couple of buses. You need both. You need both. But what you but don't we don't need. have both, and we won't for we at do. least ten years. We have the metro. We have the buses coming, and the metro will come. And, and what you don't want is the buses stuck in traffic. But also, not just that. You don't want people in the city centre, in a city centre dominated by cars. I mean, if you just take, look at Pier Street, look at Tower Street, look at the Quays. Is that working for anyone? Like, is that a sort of attractive? We need to revive Dublin city centre. Like, we need to get life back in. We need to get people shopping. We need to get, get people living and working in the city. But I don't think anybody would disagree with that uh, objective. But people will look at cities around the world. They will look at the San Francisco's. They will look at the Milan's. And they will say, and they will look at the Amsterdam's. How is it possible for them to have six, seven, eight tram lines? three, four, five metro lines, integrated bus and tram and metro. And we're being told to act like them without any of them. No, because they had over decades, they didn't, like Amsterdam was like Dublin. It wasn't always this kind of cycling nirvana. It was but they fun. built trams and yeah, yeah, yeah. rail lines, and so which we. we don't have. Well, yeah, and so are we. And one other point just on this, because it's really important. Yes, we need to do that in Dublin, but we also need to do it in Cork, Galway, Waterford and Limerick. And we are building a metropolitan rail system in Cork. We're going to put new stations in right across the north side of Cork to actually really switch Cork. Similarly, Waterford, like Waterford, we're building a new sustainable bridge across the River Shore. And we're going to see housing. If people imagine Waterford City along the Keys there, on the northern shore, we're got, there's going to be a significant development in the next two years where we put in that public transport, where we transform the city. Let me put the question to you a different way. Mm. If you look at what happened with Lewis, it was like Field of Dreams. You built it and they came. There was a Lewis there and we saw a major migration, in some instances from bus routes because of the reliability, but people saw there's a mode of transport that arrives every three minutes, you can step onto it and it Mm. goes. Why not wait for the transfer of traffic from Dublin city centre 
onto already built infrastructure rather than getting ahead of that and saying, let's make it difficult for people. Because bus is also infrastructure. Buses are going to be the workhorse. And sorry, cycling is also going to be in Dublin, a flat city, a relatively dry city, a a relatively short distances. There's no reason we can't double and triple and quadruple the number of people cycling. And like the current system, I'm sorry, we can't keep going down the keys with the way it is at the moment. It's horrific. It's dangerous. It's not fair. So, you know, we've been long enough waiting. We now start to need delivering. We deliver Metro, we deliver Dart Plus, we deliver Bus Connects, and we deliver a safer, more attractive, more vibrant city centre. Now, that leads to one of the main purposes, or one of the main express purposes of Metro, which is to give us a capital city direct connection to our airport, which is common across Europe and which we almost simply don't have. What is the point in building a multi-billion euro connection to an airport, which we then say you can't grow? The Metro is, as I said, it goes to planning next month, sorry, next week, uh, to an oral hearing. And I don't know how many 10,000, 11,000 page documents been sent in, so it's not as if there isn't a a preparation. Um, I do expect, I hope Bob Pernella could, now they're independent, they have to make their decision and their timing, but I don't see a reason why we shouldn't aim to get it done by the end of the year and through planning. What's the point if and we're then, simultaneously telling the airport you are capped? Just, just if I can finish out the point. We then have to build the metro and it'll take five, six years in construction. Uh, so it'll be early the next decade that we start to see it come into place. You're right to raise it because the whole issue about the cap in the airport isn't and wasn't originally about the number of flights or related to aviation. It all related to the, to the land transport aspect because... When that decision was made in 2007 and the cap was put on, we already knew that even though we were widening the M50 and upgrading the junction with the M1, that the road network couldn't take any more, even when it was widened. And that's why Mborpanola put the cap in place. They, just as they'll have to decide independently what happens with the metro, they similarly have to decide now an application by Dublin City Council to extend that cap from 430 Well, let me ask you the, the policy they'll question. To, they'll have to assess the traffic implications that because that's the main The overarching the policy question, as Minister for Transport, are you happy to see Dublin Airport grow its traffic? I absolutely want us to have a good aviation services. Are you happy people. to see Dublin Airport grow its traffic? I think the the numbers of people and the numbers of flights depend on one key thing in that. Well, two things, two variables. Firstly, can we get them in and out? Secondly, can that be within the climate limits that we all have to adhere to? The key challenge in aviation is going to be tackling the fuel source because that is the best and main way we have now of decarbonising aviation. But hang on for a second. The first of those is a matter for the local authority and on board Pranola and is in their hands. The second is something that your department can provide you the answer to. So in that context, are you happy to see traffic into Dublin Airport increase? Only if it's not like every sector living within our climate limits. And do you believe it will? I believe it is possible, but it's a scale of challenge beyond compare. But yes, I believe it will. So in that, con- so taking, if you believe that it is possible to stay within the climate limits, you therefore don't have a problem with the uh, of growth course, of Dublin Airport? Of course not, because that's good for our people. But we don't, if, what's not good is if we try and opt out or if aviation says, count us out on the climate challenge. They too, just like every sector, just like agriculture, just like energy sector, just like the rest of the transport sector, the, the challenge we have, come back to what I was saying at the very start, when your world is burning, 
we all are involved in making the response. And but if you have been in favour of it, why would you then preside over a party where you see your own senior people objecting right, left and centre to the planning? Should there not be a message going through the Greens that says, guys, this is, as you've just said, a good thing for the country. Let us not attempt to stymie it. Our councillors in Fingal made a really good detailed uh, representation and I think they're absolutely right in doing that. They, I, I spent, I was actually Friday afternoon, I, I spent with Fingal County Council. The anger there at the lack of consultation with the community in North Dublin around uh, some of the new flight paths and so on, where there are villages and communities, schools, where they're now suffering, which never did before, serious noise pollution. It's absolutely appropriate. So the DAA is reaping what they sowed, effectively. Well, I think they themselves acknowledged that they, they did not manage the opening of the new runway in consultation with the local community, or certainly with regard to this issue of noise, in a way that was proper and correct and effective. And I think, secondly, our councillors and other representatives are rightly, probably the only, but rightly in my mind saying, hold on a sec here now, anything we do in aviation, it does have to take climate into account. I think it's absolutely right. If the Green Party wasn't doing that, people would rightly say, well, hold on a sec. But just so that I'm clear, if the DAA finds a way to assuage the concerns and the bruising with the previous relations that you've outlined with the local community and if the local authority is happy with the traffic management and all that goes with it you in terms of public policy you would be in favour just of the no, growth I, of very carefully Anton I'm Minister of Transport we have an independent planning system it benefits our country we do not want to go back to the days when Irish government I'm not asking you to, to cut across the planning. I'm asking you for the policy position in respect to the growth of airport of, of as Dublin Airport. As long as it's within our climate limits, then absolutely we can fully understand and get the benefit of connectivity, not just in Dublin, but I think particularly actually again in this way, we also need balanced regional development. I mean, there is a problem in our country. Everything comes through Dublin. Like all the air, not all, but you know what I mean, the vast majority, same with all trucks, they all come through Dublin Port. Like at some point we have to say, hold on a sec, this is not in Dublin's interest for everything to go through Dublin. It's good for Dublin if Cork rises, it's good for Dublin if Shannon works, it's good for Dublin if Knock takes off. Although again, this is a bit like infrastructure in Dublin. We go back to Shannon development and the attempt to uh, achieve exactly what you're describing that is more than, what, 50 years old at this point. Anyway, let us go back to where we started. The International Energy Agency mm. Ministerial happening this week. One of the challenges with something so large, with, with a, a, an objective so large, is that it is difficult to measure progress. How do we know if you're achieving anything? What do we look for? Um, there's tipping points on the fearful side, as I said, where we would the, the natural systems would collapse. There's also tipping points on the positive side. If you look at what's actually happening, there's a solar revolution ticking off around the world, which gives us the opportunity of switching to a better system, better energy system. And it's happening. You look at Ireland. Like last year, we put in a gigawatt of solar power. What's that? That, that's probably, just as we're sitting here at the moment, that's probably about 20% of what the power we're using, if it was all available. Um, and it was a 30-fold increase. So but we're not going to see that this week. We're not going to see that next month. So what are we looking for from these meetings? Um, we're looking for fundamental collective agreement on the switching off of one fuel and the provision of finance for the other. And the uh, that financing is the key metric, is where's the money going? And I think that's going to be the test if whether we're working out. And I, and I think it can be done. It absolutely has to be done. Um, and I'm confident it can and will because we're switching to a better system. The better system on this one is we don't fight over it. You never hold a country to ransom over solar power. It belongs to everyone. There won't be the what we have now in the Straits of Hormuz, the Houthis and the Americans firing missiles at each other over solar power. 
that's one of the reasons I think it's a positive tipping point. Minister, thank you very much. Thank you. The Anton Savage Show. Brought to you by PWC. Sunday mornings from 10. On News Talk.